This week, I, or last week, I had to take our car into the Ford dealership. It's still under warranty, and I had to take it into the dealership because a Bluetooth module quit working on our car, which meant our car stopped communicating to us. Now, you might count that as a blessing. My wife did not count that as a blessing at all. So I took it into Ford, and they said, yep, it's under warranty. We'll take care of it. Next day, he called me. He says, we couldn't get finished with it. Can we keep the car overnight, and we'll have it repaired tomorrow? And I said, well, of course. You can keep the car overnight. Next day, he called me, and the car is having problems communicating with Ford. You see, our car has to communicate with Ford Motor Company, if I understand everything correctly that the tech was telling me. And he said, our tech has worked with your car all day, and they're just not communicating. I said, the tech in my car? He said, oh, no, the tech is good. He says, it's Ford in your car. They're not communicating. So I said, let me get this right, because this was just too much fun. I said, let me get this right. This is a Ford car, right? He goes, yes, it's a Ford Fusion. As a matter of fact, it's a Ford Fusion Hybrid. And I said, and the maker of this car is Ford Motor Company. Is that right? He goes, that's right. I said, and so my car will not communicate with Ford right now. He goes, well, I don't know if it's your car or if it's Ford Motor Company. And I said to him, thank you for one of the best sermon illustrations you've ever, ever given me in my whole life. If you're a preacher, you live for moments like this. And so the aggravation has been wonderful to be able to open up this message and talk to you about learning to listen to God. You know, my car was created by Ford. But right now, my car is not talking to Ford. And you were created by God, and maybe right now you and God aren't talking together. And it's not God that has changed. It's sometimes the car that has changed or the people that have changed. You know, Becky and I, this year, will be married 46 years in August. I can't wait. That's going to be, that's quite a testimony, 46 years of marriage. But I got to tell you, although we understand each other a lot better now than we did 46 years ago, there are still times Becky will say things to me and I don't get it. And sometimes I blame it on the fact that I'm a man and she's a woman. Sometimes I blame it on the fact that she's just not communicating clearly enough. And as I said last week, that will raise the tension in our home if I say, you're really not communicating very clearly right here. You see, sometimes we have communication problems with each other. Sometimes when I'm doing marriage counseling and I realize that this couple is not really communicating very well, I'll give them exercises to do to learn how to communicate. And you can see the look on their faces. I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this. They say, listen, unless you practice these exercises, they're really not going to do you any good and you're going to have communication problems. Sometimes later, when you've pastored a church, as long as I've pastored at Woodland, those very same people will come back to you with communication problems, and I'll say, do you remember? They go, yes. I said, did you practice them? They'll go, no, we've just, we did it for you, and that's the only reason we did it was because you told us not to come back unless we do it, and that's the way a good counselor should be. Don't come back unless you're willing to do what I'm counseling you to do. And I said, so now we're here with communication problems. Do I understand this correctly? And they go, yes. I said, are you willing to practice these things now? And inevitably, the couple will go, okay. 
Okay, I imagine, or at least I deeply hope, that sometimes this week my car is going to go, okay, and listen to the Ford Motor Company so my car can talk back to Becky from now on. I really want that to happen. The issue is, is that how do we know when God is speaking to us, and it's not the racket of the world, it's not what you heard on your favorite Fox News telecast, it's not what you heard on your favorite CNN telecast, it's not what your mother said to you, and maybe it's not even what you're wanting to do yourself. You know, once a year, I talk to you about this subject, about learning to listen to God. Because I think communication is one of the most important things you can learn to do, especially when it comes to listening to God. If you can listen to God, your human relationships will be a lot better. When the devil speaks to you, it will always be temptation. When God speaks to you, it will always be inspiration. God will inspire you to do what's good and perfect and pure and holy and just. The devil will always inspire you or tempt you to do something that will satisfy your own selfishness. Our online campuses today, you're tuned in. Some of you may not even meant to come here, but you saw what was going on and you decided to stay. I've heard from some of you who've told me that, you know, I didn't even mean to, but I stumbled across this on Facebook or YouTube and I've been listening. We're communicating right now. Even though I'm not physically in your living room or your car or your job, wherever I've heard from many of you listening, even though we're not physically together right now, we're communicating because of the magic, so to speak, of, of the internet and I guess zeros and ones that are taking this live feed from our sanctuary here at Woodland Church, 24101 Van Horden Road, Brownstown, Michigan, in case you're wondering, right here, and I am communicating with you in your living room. You see, communication happens all the time. And you don't have to see God to be able to hear God. There are some people that will listen to this and they won't even see the video. They will just listen. And a lot of times people say, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just see God, I'd believe. Listen, God is speaking to us each and every day. And the reason this is so important is because I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I've never read that book, but I've heard from some of our younger couples have read it, Not a Fan, by Kyle Eidemann, I believe is the author. And they've told me how excellent and how great the book is. I thought, what a clever title. But I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a member of the family of God. And that happens when I cross the line and give my heart to Jesus. And when I listen to God, oh, he has protected me from making so many Stupid, stupid errors. Becky's not in here, you can tell. He has protected me. I've been about to say something, and the Holy Spirit goes, shut up. I've been about to say something, and the Holy Spirit goes, not now. I have been about to do something, and the Holy Spirit says, mm-mm. It's just that. You say, have you heard him audibly? I have never heard God speak to me audibly, but I've learned to recognize his voice. Becky and I, now, 46 years later, we can communicate non-verbally. I'm telling you, I can read her face. I can read her face. She can read my face. And some of you that you've been married quite a while, you've learned those nonverbal communications. Last night at the wedding, I overheard somebody say about the wedding that we attended, and they said, uh, I wonder who's going to be the boss in this family. 
And I started chuckling when I heard that. You know, and they weren't at our tables at another table. And I thought, you know, here's somebody trying to measure up already and draw lines. So my prayer for Michael and Molly is that there won't be lines drawn, but they will work together to communicate, to build a home together. I don't want to be in a battle against God. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a son of God. I want to be one of those that I'm protected from mistakes. And furthermore, God says, when I listen to him, I will be fruitful, and that's the Bible's way of saying, you will be successful. When the Bible says you will be fruitful, that's the Bible's way of saying, you will be successful. And success doesn't necessarily mean having a million dollars. I know a lot of millionaires, a lot of millionaires. That's not an exaggeration. I know a lot of millionaires who are not happy. They have all the wealth in the world. They have influence, but they're not happy. But when you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you learn to listen, you learn to obey, suddenly you begin to discover that our good God will make you fruitful. God will bless you in every which way. He'll bless you so much, sometimes you'll go, Lord, I don't know if I can take any more. And if you're sitting there going, boy, I would love to have that, then you need this message this morning. The Bible talks about this when Jesus tells a story of four different kinds of attitudes. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord, we're going to go to Luke chapter 8 and read four verses here. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A, father, a farmer went out to plant his seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seeds fell among the rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns. They grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This soil grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as has been planted. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Would you read that last verse with me? Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Could you put that verse back up for me just a moment? Let's read it again together. Anyone with ears should listen. One more time. Anyone with ears. All right. Jesus, it's not enough for us to hear the word of the Lord. Help us to understand it. And help us to obey it. And Father, most of all, if we disagree with what we hear this morning, help us to open up our Bibles. And Lord, if we're not a follower of Jesus, if someone's listening that's not a follower of Jesus, and they haven't crossed the line, but they're listening now, they're just curious, God, I ask you to surprise them. I ask you to show up big and large in their life and let them hear the still, small voice of the Lord. I pray all of this in your holy name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The reason I think this is so important this morning is because the Bible says in Psalms 32, and you can look that up later, that God will lead you on the best pathway for your life. He doesn't tell you he will lead you on the best pathway for my life. He doesn't call you to be a copy of me. He doesn't call you to be a copy of anybody else in this room. 
As a matter of fact, as husbands and wives, he doesn't call you to be a copy of one another. I had an elderly couple tell me one time, had been married over 50 years, we've never had one argument. Let me rephrase that. The husband said that, and I heard somebody just laugh, and I did the same thing inside. I found out later why they never had an argument. It's because she was too timid to speak up. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't call us to be copies, and God doesn't call us to be cowards either. To follow Christ means you learn to listen to God. But you say, how do I learn to listen, Pastor? Well, it's real simple. First, you've got to have an open mind to listen to God. And by open mind, I don't mean you're open to every philosophy. I don't mean you're, op you're open to every little thing that comes down the pipe. But to have an open mind is, is that you learn to listen to God, and if you don't understand it, at least you pray for understanding. At least you ask God to help you understand. Or you go to your small group leader, or you go to a pastor, or you go to another mature follower of Jesus and say, can you help me to understand this? You see, the, the opposite of, a, of, a, of an open mind is a closed mind, a mind that says, I refuse to listen, a mind that I, says, I refuse to give in. It's like a friend of mine who was the president of Evangel University whose little boy, when he was little and later became a professor and spoke for me in our camps, our, his little boy one time, his dad told him to sit down and be quiet. And his little boy looked up at him, John, and he says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up and hollering on the inside. His dad said, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You know, I'm closed-minded. I'm resisting everything that you said to me. G.K. Chesterton, that I love to read by, says the point of an open mind, like having an open mouth, is to close it on something solid. Isn't that good? And the Word of God is the most solid food you're ever going to eat in your life. If you buy into the vain philosophies of this world, the changing pop culture, you will always be chewing on cotton candy. This week, I was out on, on Friday morning. I was out for an early morning walk, and there was the cutest little girl in the park. And she was running, and she was catching the cottonwood as it was floating through the air. What are you doing? I said. She goes, I'm catching wishes. I said, you're catching wishes? She said, yes. And I said, what are you wishing for? She says, I wish that a snowflake would fall on my head right now. And she goes, ah, there it is. I fell in love immediately, you know, just one of those things. Well, I come around, she's going the opposite way around the park, and she sees me coming, and she's dancing back and forth like this. She says, be careful of the lava. I'm okay because I have my lava shoes on. I was smitten. I came back around the park. Her grandmother was swinging her on a swing. She saw me coming. She says, Grandma, a big, strong man fixed this swing. So her grandma looked at me and says, did you fix this swing? I said, lady, you don't know me very well. <laughs> if it's fixed, I didn't fix it. I listened to that little girl catching wishes, jumping across the lava, rejoicing in her imagination. Never lose your imagination. Don't build your life on imagination. Build your life on the Word of God. For he who builds his, word of, his life on the Word of God, Jesus said, it'll be like building it on a solid rock. And when the storms come like they did last night here in Michigan, the house will stand. The Bible says the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message. Those are the ones that hear God speaking. They listen to the Bible. They listen to preaching. They listen to teaching. Sometimes they get those impressions that we've talked about in times past. Only to have the devil come and take it away from their, hear, their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. 
It's not that they haven't heard. They just allow the enemy to come along and steal it from their hearts. Jesus described this attitude as a footpath. He said, this is seed that falls. There's nothing wrong with the seed, by the way. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with this message this morning. Matter of fact, this is a really good message. You need to listen to all of it. The seed fell on hard path where we walked between the rows of corn and beans and potatoes and stuff when I was growing up, where we walked, it became hardened. All the soil around the plants was nice and soft and fertile, but the hard path, he said, the seed fell there. It's, in other words, they've got a hard heart. They've got a narrow mind. They're rejecting. They're resisting. They've closed their mind to the gospel. Do you know anybody like that at all? Do you know anyone who fits that description? Sometimes when I'm traveling and I'm out of state and maybe I'm in the mountains or I'm somewhere and I need to make a call and I wish I'd brought my phone with me, I'll hold up my cell phone like this. You know what I'm doing? I'm trying to get a bar. I'm trying to find a place. Have you ever been in that place where you can't? Matter of fact, I will never do this again, but pull your cell phone out right now. Just pull your cell phone out. And those of you that have four bars, just wave your hand at me. All right, there's one man's got four bars. How many of you have got one bar? Can you wave your hand at me? Okay. How many of you got no bars? All right. So we can communicate with our cell phones in here. During school time, sometimes when I drive past Woodhaven High School, I can't get a signal. I get past Woodhaven High School, I can get a signal. I don't know what's going on, but I know that right there, it's very difficult to communicate. What are you saying, Pastor? I mean that I have to position myself properly. I have to position myself properly to hear the word of the Lord. This morning, my mother-in-law, Frances, who's been with us the last three weeks, wave at us, Frances, and would y'all give her a big welcome this morning? She's been coming to the second service. We're so glad you're here. You should stay longer, by the way. But uh, she, she's been with us the last three weeks. But, you know, I'm coming to church with Francis. I said, you know, Francis, I, I do something every Sunday morning. I sing Jesus Loves Me. It just kind of helps me prepare my heart, and we pray. And so she sang beautifully, Jesus Loves Me, on the way to church this morning. What I'm doing is I'm giving God one more chance to speak to me before I get to the church. I'm giving God one more chance to speak to my heart. What I'm saying is you have to position yourself. You say, Pastor, what makes a narrow and a hard heart? Pride. I don't need to hear from God. I can do this on my own. Fear. I'm going to become a nut job. People are going to think I'm a nut job if I start saying God spoke to me. Sometimes it's not only fear, but it's bitterness. You've been hurt in your times past. You've been hurt in your life somewhere. You're bitter at God, and you have asked over and over, God, why? Years ago at this church, an episode happened, and it just broke my heart. I stood right there at that beam, and before I knew what I was doing, and Barbara, you're often praying at that beam, and I, I thank God every time I see you praying at that beam, but I stood right there at that beam, and before I even knew what I was doing, my head was pounding against that beam. I never pound my head. I was pounding my head. It says, God, why, why, why? And that episode took a long time to heal from because it struck me so deep in my heart. It wasn't a personal thing. It was something that happened to someone else in our church. And I love this individual deeply. I love this, this, this man and his wife so deeply. And as I found myself praying there, God, why did you allow this to happen in their lives? 
I found myself not having to forgive God, but having to say, God, you know best. And if you listen to the message Wednesday night, one of the most powerful prayers for healing was by Lutheran theologian O'Housby that I prayed Wednesday night. Oh God, if it be to your glory to heal me suddenly, heal me suddenly. If it be to your glory to heal me gradually, then heal me gradually. Oh God, if it be to your glory to heal me over time, then heal me over time. But oh God, if it be to your glory to take me on to yourself, then take me to yourself. You see, a sold out passionate follower of Jesus Christ doesn't live for the pleasures of this life, they live for the glory of God. And pride and fear and bitterness have no room there. A bitter life is a wasted life. A bitter life is a wasted life. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, so throw out all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage and simple humility. Let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word unlocking or making a salvation garden of your life. Maybe there's some things you need to throw out of your life today. Maybe there's some things you've been watching on television. Maybe there's some shows you might ought to give up. Maybe there's some literature you might ought to give up. Maybe there's some habits you just might ought to give up. One of our former pastors here at the church, I was listening to him preach one, one Wednesday evening, and he said, <laughs> he said, you know, my wife has a drawer in our refrigerator that I call the rotter. He says, when things go in there, they never come out. <laughs> they just lay there and rot. He says, and when the, when the refrigerator begins to stink, I know that the rotter needs to be empty. I remember sitting here thinking, she is going to kill you. <laughs> and she did, metaphorically speaking. But what a great illustration. There's some rotten stuff that maybe we need to get out of our life that's not helping us to grow if we're going to learn to listen to God. The second thing, I must take time to listen to God if I want to grow. If the first opposite of having an open mind is having a closed mind, then the second opposite of this is being in a hurry all the time. It's always been in a hurry. And life is busy, especially now that, now that life is getting back to somewhat normal. I was shocked last night. We were at the banquet hall for the, for the um, reception. And, of course, Becky and I haven't been out to a restaurant yet. And, you know, we kind of walked in. We're fully vaccinated. And we're like, there's lava. I've got my lava shoes on, you know. And we walked in, and the place was packed. I'm telling you, there was no social distancing there. No social distancing. But after a while, it felt good. I felt relaxed. I was laughing with everybody. And so after a while, I, I, I quit looking at my clock. My biological clock kicked in at 8 o'clock and said, it's time to go to bed. So I got up and left, and the party was just starting. But I sat there, and I enjoyed the fellowship and the conversation. I enjoyed the hugs that people were bringing. It was just nice to see and to be with people again. In my travels in life, running has been one of the big blessings of my life because I've seen so much I would never see. I can tell you about all the little streets and pathways in Kisumu, Kenya. I can tell you about all the little streets and pathways that I was able to visit in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. 
I ran every single, I've run every single island in Venice. And I could just keep going on and on with the places that I've run and that I've seen. Shops that I've stopped and talked to people in when I'm sweating because I was just curious about what they had in the windows. Becky and I took a train to, to, through Switzerland. It was stunning. It was beautiful. And I kept taking pictures through the window. I want to come back and visit this. But when we got to our, our destination, Zurich, where one of my Reformation heroes, Ulrich Zwingli, was a pastor at, we walked the streets of Zurich. I got my picture taken with the statue of Ulrich Zwingli. We went to his church where he preached at him. We walked at night. And you see, sometimes to see something, you've got to slow down. Sometimes to hear someone, you've got to slow down. You miss the details when you're hurrying. You shuffle God. You have a quick five-minute devotion because that's all you've got time to do with all of the urgent things that are going on in your day. If your life is that pressing and that urgent, you need more than five minutes with God. If your life is that demanding, you need more than five minutes with God. You're living in challenges. You're skimming relationships. You're saying, Lord, hurry. I want you to listen to this quote by Rob Lazebuck. He's the creator of a show that I have to confess I've never watched before, or one of the creators called The Simpsons. And if you'll just listen to this, because I thought this was amazing. Take this simple test. After your next long conversation with someone, estimate what percentage of it you spent talking. Be honest. No, you're already underestimating. I mean, he, didn't he catch you, what you're thinking? No, you're already underestimating. How do I know? Because it's more fun to talk than to listen. Talking is like drinking a great Cabernet. I had to look that up to know how to pronounce it, so I hope you're proud of me right there. Talking is like drinking a great Cabernet. Listening is like doing squats. Listening is like reading a corporate report. Talking is like eating a cinnamon bun. I love cinnamon buns. I love cinnamon buns. You see, we all underestimate the amount of time that we spend listening. The seeds on the rocky soil, Jesus said, they represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Why? Because they're superficial. They don't have any topsoil in their life. I've had some folks asking me from here at the church, they would like to go to Israel. I would love to take you to Israel. I'd love for us to go on a trip together. But let me tell you, the best time to go to Israel is in the month of April, because on the mountains of Israel, when the rains come, the spring rains come, the flowers begin to blossom and to bloom. But as soon as the, uh, the, the, the rains pass, the mountains turn brown again. You see, in those places in life where you don't have much topsoil, everything is good when you've got the nice, soft, gentle rains in your life. But you let a drought come, you let a storm come, and there's no topsoil, there's no depth to your life. You say, what are people like that are in a hurry? They're impulsive. They don't have time to let the message sit in. They're the people that's always in a hurry. It's why we give you notes at Woodland Church. It's why I ask you to take copious notes, not just to fill in the blanks, but sometimes you'll hear me say, underline this, circle this, or maybe write this in the side of your outline. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Say that with me. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. One more time. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. I've told you before, it break, I think I said this two weeks ago, it just breaks my heart when I realize that 95% of everything I've worked so hard to tell you this week, you're going to forget by the end of the week. 
But if you take notes and you go home and review them, you build your devotions around them, you listen to God, then it becomes a part of you. How do you get roots in your life? You learn to stop and take time to listen to God. You have a daily quiet time. If you've forgotten to do how to do that, go with me through discovering spiritual maturities. We go through 201 again. Become a part of a small group here at Woodland Church. This fall, we have a big campaign. I know the summer is not the best time in Michigan to start this, but this fall, we're going to have a big campaign in order to get people back into small groups because so many of you have not been a part of a small group. But that's how you learn to listen to God. The people that I meet with in my small group, they've helped me learn to listen to God better. That's the reason the Bible says, and those of you that you're still in your pajamas and you're saying, I don't want to come back to church yet, listen to this. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. I need you. This church needs you. And I've got a secret for you. Whether you believe it or not, you need us as well. We need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that day dawning. The third thing I'd say to you this morning, if you want to learn to listen to God, is I have to learn to refocus my attention. I have to learn to refocus. Let me go back to the reception last night. The reception last night was noisy. It was loud. Jeanette was sitting across the table from me. There was a vase of flowers that was taller than Jeanette. And because it's not my wedding reception, I didn't feel free to move the flowers in front of somebody else. And so all of a sudden, over the din of noise, I would become aware there was a sound coming across the other side of the table. So I'd lean my head, look around, and Jeanette's lips were moving. Now, I'm not deaf. It was just loud in that place. So I leaned forward, and I don't know how many times I said to you, Jeanette, what did you say? And Jeanette would raise her voice a little bit, and then I could hear Jeanette. I was refocusing my attention. Cal Newport, in the book I've recommended to you before, Digital Minimalism, says solitude requires you to move past reacting to information created by other people and focus instead on your own thoughts and experiences Wherever you happen to be. Say that with me. Wherever you happen to be. We all have to learn how to refocus. You say, Pastor, what's the difference here? The difference is hurriness. Different than busyness. Because all of a sudden, we're just rushing. We want to get through. I'm very guilty of this. My days are packed. My days are full. I never use the word I'm busy. Some people have said to me, you're lying. I just refuse to say that word to people because all of a sudden it says you don't have time. I've always got time. We'll make time somewhere. We'll find time somewhere. I, between John Anna and Becky and, and, and Amy, I manage a pretty decent calendar. It's why I get up so early in the morning is because the most important person I'm going to talk to that whole day is not Becky, but it's the Lord. My marriage, my parenting, my grandparenting, my pastoral skills, my, my ability to, to shepherd in this community is all affected by that slow, unhurried time in the morning and those last few minutes in the evening and then that mid-morning prayer when we come together in here. Because I get distracted. Before my knees gave out on me, I quit running on the roads around here anymore because cell phones made it so dangerous. 
More than once, I had to jump in a ditch. More than once, I was run off the road. More than once, somebody did not see me because of texting and driving or talking on a cell phone and driving. Distracted driving. Listen to these stats. 64% of car accidents are caused by distracted driving. The average student can focus on a given task for only two minutes. The typical internet user's online screen focus lasts for an average of 40 seconds. The average 25 to 34-year-old checks his phone or her phone 50 times per day. The average 25 to 34-year-old spends two and a half, 2.5 hours per day on social media, while the average 8 to 18-year-old child spends nine hours on social media per day. Excessive device usage is leading to decreases in marital and relational satisfaction. Loneliness is an epidemic, with 54% of people saying that they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. On average, we spend 650 hours per year reading and responding to emails. We touch, swipe, and tap our screens an average of 2,617 times per day. That was a stat this year. Gabe Lyons, who used to work for John Maxwell, that now leads the Q organization. We are a distracted nation. We are a distracted church. The people of God have become distracted by busyness and hurriedness and hardened, compacted soil in their lives. Social media is a great thing. It's a great tool, but it is not life. Jesus said other seeds fell among thorns that grew up with it, and it choked out the tender plants. That word choked out. Now, now look at me just a second. That word choked out, it's a funny sounding Greek word, apapanigo. Say that with me, apapanigo. Now you know some Greek. But what you need to know is that word also means stressed out. And all of these distractions are stressing us out. I would say 90% of the counseling issues that I do have to do with stress. And I would say the overwhelming majority of them could be solved by a good trip to the altar and waiting on the Lord and worshiping Him with the copy of the Scriptures. Can you say amen? I'm not saying that to grandstand. I'm saying that because the people of Christ are distracted themselves. Choke points in life I wrote down are worries and riches and pleasures. There's nothing wrong with riches and pleasures. That's all what I'm saying. But Jesus identifies these as the choke points, the stresses in life. In other words, they're the weeds. And my wife will tell you now that she's a gardener. You don't have to cultivate weeds. You don't have to plant weeds. They just grow. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? They just grow. Where did that come from, you say? Well, the enemy is always at work. Somebody was asking me one time, says, how does God speak to you? And I said, honestly, the overwhelming majority of the time, it's through reading my Bible. It just, almost every day, something stands out. Usually, that's the scripture I post on Facebook. I said, sometimes it's in something somebody said. And I said, when they say it, I take it and go and pray. I said, Lord, was this you talking to me? It's just, I've learned to recognize. We communicate. God and I communicate every day, every day. Becky and I communicate every day. That communication, learning to know his voice, is the most important thing you're going to do. And I apologize. I get excited. I wish that I could be more erudite and 
it's calm and settled and had that deep, deep voice. But I want you to know, not one time in life has God ever yelled at me. It's the reason I value so much when Becky is doing this to me. Bring your voice down. She says, because when you get excited, you sound like you're angry. Not one time has God ever yelled at me. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. The sound of a gentle whisper. God loves you. And you know what it's like to whisper to a child. And you know what it's like when a loved one whispers in your ear. And you know what it's like to have that nonverbal communication. And then finally, I must be willing to trust and obey and listen to God. I love Soren Kierkegaard's writings. I know that sometimes it's a little difficult to understand, but he speaks to me, even though he's been dead a long time. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Would you say that with me? Purity of heart is to will one thing. Let's do it again. Purity of heart is to will one thing. So, Pastor, what's that one thing for you? It's to know him. What's that one thing you want for this church? It's for you to know him. What's that one thing you want for the online campus? I don't care if you ever give a nickel to this church, but I want you to know Jesus. That's the one thing. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. In other words, they cultivate an open mind. They slow down enough so they can take time to listen. They refocus their attention on God with this attitude. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Whatever you say, when I read the Bible, when I hold it up and I read the Bible, I say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. It's not a matter, Lord, if I like what you say, you can talk to me, but if I like what you say, then I'll do it. God's never going to talk to you that way. Our marriage would have never made it if that was the way we treated one another. It's not a matter of like a friend of mine who's not even a Christian but is a chaplain, a Christian chaplain, but he's not even a Christian, and he laughs about that fact. I said, why did you become a chaplain? He said, I became a chaplain because I just love theology. I love to study about what you believe about God. And so he earns a comfortable living in a hospital as a chaplain, and, not every, and I, he's the only chaplain I know like that. But he's not even a Christian. But he says the right prayers. He reads the right verses. He doesn't believe any of that. And when he told me God has never spoke to him as often as he's read the Bible, God will not speak to you if you're not willing to obey God. However, however, God is merciful. And he may send a storm in your life that will just pound the dickens out of you. And it will take that hard center path and it will make it soft. 
It'll take that bulwark that you build around your life and the floods will wash it all away. It'll take all the philosophies of your mind that you have built up to counter. God will allow that storm. It'll be dazzling in his brightness. I stood at the windows at 2 o'clock this morning because that, that beautiful storm came through at 40,000 feet, according to the weather app. 40,000 feet, no lightning bolts coming down, and the sky illuminated with the thunders and the lightnings in heavens, the winds bowing, and I said, yes, God, sometimes in mercy you send a storm to get our attention. And when there was a man who said, I am not going to do what God wants, then God sent a storm in the sea and he ended up at the bottom, but he ended up back on land preaching the gospel. And you all know the story of Jonah this morning. God in his mercy, it's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Honey, if you'll come to the piano, the growth work's filled out for you. This year marks the 40th anniversary of one of my favorite movies, the Indiana Jones series. I love them. I can't tell you how many times I've watched them. My favorite scene, though, is when Sean Connery is leaning over the cliff, and Indiana is reaching for the cup that supposedly was the cup that Jesus drank out of. Sean is reaching over and he says, Junior, let it go. Junior, let it go. And Indiana turns around and says, I can almost reach it. I can almost reach it. Junior, let it go. Junior turns around, reaches a hand. Dad pulls him up over the cliff. First time I saw that, that's grace, family. That's grace. God reached down to me and grabbed me when I was reaching for everything else in this life and says, let it go. That's repentance. And when Junior grabbed his dad's hand and God pulled him up, that, friends, is salvation. But Junior would have died if he hadn't listened. And I hope you've listened this morning because there is a God who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ that says, I love you. That's why I sent my son to die for your sins. So I'm going to ask the congregation to stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. First, I just want to pray with each of you. And just all of you, just, you don't have to pray this out loud. You can if you want. But say, Lord, help me to have an open mind. You want to close your mind on something solid. Lord, help me take time You got to slow down a little bit. Lord, help me refocus on you this morning. You're so hurried with so many distractions.
Let them go. Let them go. God will take your fears, your worry, your pride, your bitterness, your anger. A bitter life is a wasted life. Refocus on him this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And decide right now, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you've listened, God loves you. And God's speaking to you right now through this message. It's time to come home to Jesus. It's not an accident that you listened online. It's not an accident that you're here today. So would you right now commit your life to Christ? Just pray like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much and for giving Jesus to die for my sins. I believe in you. I believe that you rose again from the third day. And now I want to live for you and with you and listen to you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and may you hear the still, small voice of the Lord in your heart all week long. God bless you. You're dismissed.